an interesting day today. Um, I was in the city for most of the afternoon. And uh, walking around the old neighborhood, North Beach, while a friend had a doctor's appointment. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. Just kind of remembering the old days when San Francisco was still San Francisco. I don't know what it is now, but <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, it's not what it was back then. Sorry. Sorry to go old fart on you. But, uh, yeah, San Francisco in the 70s. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. And then tonight I, I got a call from a woman I dated briefly back uh, in, around 2004. And she turned out to be, I, I actually believe she's probably one of the, uh, one of the, the premier psychic in this country. Uh, you wouldn't know her name. And, uh, I don't think I probably should say it. She doesn't want to be a, uh, not that she's going to get famous by me mentioning her name, but she's turned down Oprah a bunch of times and, She's very private, but she's, you know, psychic to all these, uh, you know, billionaires and movie stars. And when I first met her, I, we met, and I'll tell the story of how we met some other time. It's pretty funny, but uh, we, and we ended up going out to dinner and she told me was, she was a, a psychic. And I thought, oh, great. Another, another Hollywood psychic. Cause I just met one. I was a new one, and she was absolutely batshit. But as I got to know this, the the one that called tonight, I came to realize that I was dealing with someone who had a foot on the other side at all times, and uh, fascinating woman, and. Uh, our contact is intermittent. And uh, so it really, really cheered me up to hear from her and talk and catch up and stuff. Just one of these, I mean, just one of these people. Her, her uh, godfather was a, was a major mobster. One of the architects of Las Vegas. When he died, he left her a bunch of money. She refused it. And they said, why? And she goes, well, I don't want to get audited every year for the rest of my life. But um, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, I used, we used to talk about the Kennedy assassination. Because I, you know, it's one of, you know, to me, it's, well, it's, in American history, it's one of, you know, one of the key uh, incidents. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just it was the end of America, basically. Uh, and I remember one time, you know, she's going on, why, she's going, why do you care? 
she finally looked at me and just said, no one's ever going to tell you what you want to know. And I guess that doesn't mean much in my telling of it, but at the moment, it just was like this stark metaphysical proclamation. Anyway, I think I've talked about my friend Rod, who was offered to be in, he, they asked him if he wanted to be involved with the, the assassination, but he turned him down, and he later told me he, many years later, he, he got out of the mob alive and into AA. Uh, and, yeah, he said he knew like 50 people who were involved and had been killed, because that's what they did. But all this, you know, thinking about this stuff led me to do a search online about a guy named Bones Remmer, who was the San Francisco mob boss in the late 40s and early 50s. He had run the Calneva Lodge up in North Shore Tahoe. Before that, he stole a bunch of money from there and came to San Francisco. Uh, he ran clubs and, well, all the under... He was the, he was the kingpin of the underworld, San Francisco. Um, I met his lieutenant many years later uh, and who told me some stories and... Anyway, Bones Remmer, Jimmy Tarantino, who ran a uh, magazine called Hollywood Nightlife, uh, and uh, he he blackmailed or extorted money out of people, threatened to expose them for being gay or smoking pot or, you know, whatever, running a uh, whorehouse, whatever. They didn't pay off. He, Jimmy worked for Bones. Um and then I got, got to Frank Sinatra, who actually Sinatra put up some money when Jimmy Tarantino was working for Mickey Cohen, the mobster down in L.A., and, and I guess he helped get the magazine started. But then Jimmy Tarantino shook Sinatra down for something. I'm not sure. I, that I can't never find out what it was. But uh, And uh, Sinatra was so pissed uh, Jimmy had to leave L.A. and come up to uh, San Francisco where he hooked up with Bones Rimmer. Jimmy Tarantino did one thing. He, tr he tried to shake down uh, Richard Nixon, who was a vice presidential candidate at the time, about Nixon's slush fund. And uh, he, he you know, approached Murray Chotiner, who later, you'd know his name from Watergate and stuff like that. And when... They refused to pay up. Uh, Tarantino published a story about the slush fund, and that led to Nixon's checkers speech, which he made to be able to stay on the 1950, must have been the 50, I don't know if it was 52 or the 56 ticket, presidential ticket. I don't know. I was too young. I don't remember off the top of my head which, which year it was. But anyway... The checker speech, you know, Google it, <laughs> watch it on YouTube. <laughs> it's, it's magnificent, uh, magnificent BS. Anyway, 
this led me to an article um, on the, at the New Statesman by this guy named Yo Zushi, and I don't—I never heard of Yo Zushi before, but I—he's an interesting guy. He's got a bunch of great articles on here, and he's also a musician. Has a wonderful um, song on YouTube. I found uh, interesting guy. I don't know. I've never heard of him before. But uh, anyway, it was this article about Frank Sinatra, and uh, I'm I'm just going to read you some excerpts because it's it's really brilliant. Um, and uh, I guess I could put the link. I could put the link in the description, couldn't I, of this post? Yeah. So maybe you can find it. Yeah, I will do that. Uh, Frank Sinatra's involvement with gangsters was a complicated one. The myth is popularized by Mario Puzo in his novel, The Godfather, is that the singer was simply a ring-kissing beneficiary of the Cosa Nostra. Yet, although it's true the singer freely associated with made men, his entanglement with them seems to have been based more on mutual curiosity than a client-padron relationship. At a time when Italians in the United States were still despised as ethnic outsiders, the lawless, gun-wielding enforcers of old-world justice must have appealed to the young Sinatra, just as later in his career, his unparalleled status as the world's best-known Italian-American if not quite the world's best known American, must have won him the respect of the Uomini di Rispetto. I don't know what that means. And it seems that he made himself useful to crooks, whether or not they were Italian. In 1960, Sinatra and a group of associates applied to buy a majority stake in Calneva. There it is again, a resort and casino that straddled the border between California and Nevada. This time, the singer, according to Captain, was fronting for Sam Giancana, the Sicilian-American of the Chicago outfit, leader of the organization once run by Al Capone. Another co-owner, also behind a protective wall of fronts, was the former, former diplomat Joseph Kennedy. The first news of the takeover ran in the newspapers on the day that Kennedy's son, John, won the Democratic presidential nomination. When Joseph Kennedy summoned Sinatra to ask for his help in getting John support, the support of the mob, the singer flew off to meet Giancana on a golf course. Soon after, the gangster almost certainly helped engineer voting irregularities in JFK's favor in the state of Illinois. And Gene Conn and Kennedy uh, shared a mistress. What was her name? Oh, man. I'm having a senior moment. There's a great, uh, here's some great stuff here. Um, if, as Norman Mailer once observed, the dream of dream life of America is made up of a concentration of ecstasy and violence, Sinatra is surely that dream life personified. His relationship with killers and extortionists, though unfortunate, has become the stuff of myth, and his music curiously shaded by its seedy implications. 
Dean Martin's whiskey-soaked yet totally, totally perfect delivery evokes an unpolluted sense of warmth and congeniality, even when he purrs such sinister lines as, brother, you can't go to jail for what you're thinking. What could he be thinking? Yet listening to the voice, as Sinatra is known, is often a deeper, darker experience, especially on his albums and ballads and what he called his saloon songs. On Frank Sinatra sings for only the lonely, Sinatra and strings, and no one cares. The lyrics speak of heartbreak and yearning. But to many 21st century listeners, it is hard to escape the proximity of violence suggested by the singer's reputation. It is an undercurrent that, in song, is redirected inwards. We may have heard stories of Sinatra sending an uncomplimentary journalist a tombstone with her name on it, or instructing his driver to go through and not around the reporters who swarmed him. But in his music, the sense of danger attached to his persona as a star becomes something more abstract. There is a desperate seriousness in much of Sinatra's singing that redeems cliché and shows it to be absolute truth, reminding us that the most profound words we are likely to hear, I love you, sound corny, and have been uttered billions of times before. I need your love so badly. I love you oh so madly, he sings, and I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. Hear a square say this, and you may gag, but hear a villain reduced to such depths, a villain who could make anything happen on a whim, and somehow the effect is reversed. There is a strange nobility in the performed debasement of Sinatra, the man who seemed to have it all. The reality was that he had it all and nothing at all. Sinatra spent his middle years pining for his errant second wife, Ava Gardner, the screen siren who left him to dally in Spain with one of the toreros who inspired Hemingway's The Dangerous Summer and whom the obsessed billionaire Howard Hughes jealously had watched by a detective who was later involved in a CIA plot to assassinate Fidel Castro. Success in his various careers placated Sinatra only so long as the sun was up. In the wee small hours, he would stare up at photographs of Gardner, arrange a shrine in his room, or shoot at them with pellet guns. He couldn't stand to be alone. The nights are endless things, he sings in When, when No One Cares. The lyrics were by Sammy Kahn, but in Sinatra's recording, The singer seems to inhabit every line, every note. I sometimes wonder what it would be like to listen to Frank Sinatra without any knowledge of his life. Would it carry the same weight of lived experience? In the end, any singer's songs stand or fall on their artistic merits and their emotional resonance with uh, listeners. Biography can only have a supplemental relationship with a work. Yet Sinatra is more than a singer. He was a star and one of the brightest of the 20th century. Who would want to shield himself from that myth and all its violent, ecstatic beauty? Well, I'm, I think, yeah, you don't need to know about Sinatra to hear what's in those songs. And uh, as I was reading this, I was thinking about all this autotune bullshit today. You can't get from today's music, what you can get from a Frank Sinatra song. 
I read an uh, article once about Sinatra and um, and how he believed that music came from another dimension, which it does. Fascinating guy. But yeah, um, so yeah, I don't think you need to know that Sinatra was who he was, you know, and you know. I, he also was a champion for civil civil rights. Uh, that's you know seriously, and uh, yeah, he was a complex man. But what a what an incredible, unbelievable singer! I listened to him, I'm just blown away. I mean, if you listen, he goes flat a lot, but no one can touch his phrasing. So, before I close, I would like to remind you to go to my website, if you're not already there, and sign up for my mailing list. Right now, what I'm offering people who sign up for my mailing list are wallpapers for your phone, your iPad, your tablet, your computer, uh, all original art by me and of different kinds. And uh, yes, if you sign up for the newsletter, you get the password to unlock them all. And I'm adding at least one new one every week. And uh, if you are a subscriber to the newsletter, well, you get, a, you know, updates about what's going on and, all, you know, this and that. And, um, you know, I haven't quite figured that all out yet, but, you know, It'll be worth it. So I hope you'll do that. And uh, now this podcast, you, you can subscribe to it anywhere. Apple, Pandora, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are served. I hope you will. And then, you know, of course, visit my website because that's where I post all the new music and everything like that. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Knox Bronson Superstar. And... Uh, yeah, so this is Knox riding the wild bubble with you forever. <laughs>